let's take a look at the ultimate funnel. Uh, okay, so this is the funnel today, and you're here. You're the CEO here, and everything funnels through you or down to you, and then you widen the neck of the funnel so it flows down to them. Okay, we went over that. But it's going to be a little bit different as you go up the trajectory. And how will it be different? Well, here's going to be you up here, let's say the chair, the chairman. I, I, let's not get hung up with titles. But here's the executive director or the president, whatever. You're, they're here. Like I was here, and then my pastor was here, like in the ministry that I cited, the, the ministry that's, that's operating at an ultimate level of productivity and freedom, then the CFO is sitting here, is here, and the chair is here. But now the difference is, yes, there's still going to be mandates that are going to drop in here, like that, and then they're going to go down here, like that. But then there are going to be mandates that I should have drawn this differently here, like this. And so here's the executive director or the president, whatever you want to call them. And, but some of these mandates are going to go from God directly to him or her, not necessarily through you. And then they're going to come back up to you with a plan. And then some of them are even as you build competence at the next level down. So here's that team sitting around here. Some of them are going to go direct to them. Amen. And that's the way you want it. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to come to you. But mo the major strategic things will. God, God doesn't, you know, hasn't lost sight of who's the leader. <laughs> so principally, he'll speak to you, but principally is no longer about volume. Principally, it's about more strategy, more strategic things that are going to come to you. But then you're going to have this person here, and God's going to speak to them more as they take more responsibility off of your shoulders. He's going to speak to them. They're going to be more tuned to what is needed here. So he'll speak to them. And then he will, the progression is, then he will speak to team members as well. And they will come and say, I believe this is what I, this is what God told me, and I believe we need to do this, and this is how I'd like to take it on and handle it. And I'll bring you a plan for how we can do it. And this guy's going to say, great, I like it. Bring it. Bring it on. Are you seeing this? A bobblehead here or there would, you know, okay. So is that clear? It'll be less coming directly to you, be more coming on to the person that you have replicated yourself into and are trusting and empowering and delegating more to in the ministry. These directives will come to, and that may be the kind of thing that he would bring to you. In a one-on-one, -on -one. I feel God's speaking to me, Pastor, about this. And I, th I believe it's time that we did this and we took this on. Remember we talked about it years ago. I believe the time is right now. What do you say? What do you think? See, that's what you do in here. And then the same is happening with them, and they're bringing it to him in this meeting. 
See, now, it, because now it's like a one-way, for many of you, it's a one-way street. It's all flowing down, flowing down. <laughs> the good news is that it flows back up or it flows down to others. It flows up to you. Let me see what I might have missed here. This is how you accelerate. This is how you build productivity and get the, you get the RPMs ramped up. Where are they? Here. This is how you build more efficiency, more acceleration, more torque in your ministry. When, when everything isn't dependent upon and flowing through you. But that's when you've done your homework. And thank you. Some of you said, boy, You've, you've re-energized me. You've stimulated me. You've encouraged me. You've stretched me. You've shown me a bigger vision. And that was, that was my intent. So back to what I said earlier about, you know, the general partner. See, the, the general partner in, in the American Education Publishing the guy who put more money into the company than we did, he was the general partner. So he would receive presentations from us. Here's our ideas, how to build, but we're going to need to spend money to do that, and he's going to prove it, because he's the general partner. He's got the most at stake. God told me that one time about our relationship. I just feel led to share this. Some of you have heard it. But, uh, you know, a lot of times I was running all over the place doing this, leaning on my own understanding, and God spoke to me. And he said, you remember when you, built, when you started American Education Publishing? Remember you, had, uh, you need, didn't have enough money? You needed to penetrate the marketing channels faster than the big boys so you could, you know, get a capture share of the market before they knocked your stuff off? And I said, yeah. And he said, remember when you got the funding and they put in more than you did, they became what? I said, well, they became the general partner and they approved the major stuff. And then you, we were the limited partner and we ran things on a day-to-day -day basis. He said, yeah, that's the way we work, bud. <laughs> I'm the general partner and I approve everything and, I, and you're asking me to bless what you come up with and the way it works, bud. That's when you know he's serious, when he calls you Bud, and your name's Dr. Radke, you know. <laughs> and he's, hey, hey, the way it works is I t tell you what to do, and I bless you to do it. That was free. Okay. Then we have a little bit different process, too. So, and we kind of alluded to it there, and um, maybe it'd be easier to do it over here. Well, we got all this space down here, right? Yeah. So... So here's God at the apex of the process. Here is 
the leader, the guy in the chair at the table now for you. And here's the executive leadership team here. Here's the ELT. Here's this guy here. And then here's this meeting up here, the executive council. It's a good idea to have this person be the conduit between that and this, this ELT. What does that mean, a conduit? In other words, at some, sometimes, well, he's part of this, or she's part of this. So one of the arrows on this team here is this person, the person sitting at the chair there. Why is that helpful? Because then when decisions are made here strategically, they get conveyed down here. This guy inherits them, or gal, and then they're implemented here, or here. This is the same as this, okay? This is just the concept. Are, are you, you, look at me like you're getting this, okay? Okay, good. So this, is, this person is the conduit so that you don't have to come down here and explain it to them. It's just more efficient. So this person is the, condu the conduit. I, there's probably a better word than that. But this person relays what the strategic decisions that are made here are implemented here. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, by the same token, the major decisions that need to be approved here strategically come up also. So some go down, some come up. And that will help you big time. For instance, in my case, when I was in the chair at the table, my pastor was in the chair behind, then I was here, and then I actually facilitated this meeting on his behalf. It just helped him be freer. And I facilitated this meeting. He made the final calls, but I facilitated it. And so I took things from here that I knew needed to be approved at this level, and then he, they, they discussed it, and he made the decision. And then I came back down here and implemented it. So that meant he didn't have to be running back and forth. By the same token, well, it went both ways. I think I covered that. So this, this will be very efficient for you. And sometimes for the one-on-ones, which we already discussed, then it'll be this, just like Pastor Whitfield says he has with Brother Tom. So there's this as well, between the ELT and you, eventually, and those of you that are ready to make a move. So... This is how we ultimate the process here, the process. Ultimate involvement, so we still have coordination between the, those that are implementing the strategy and those that are deciding the strategy. And we have ultimate empowerment because when you make a decision here, it goes right with the person here or here. And it goes right down here and gets implemented. 
You see? And you're, ta you're tapping into the ultimate wisdom, counsel, and understanding because you're getting the wisdom, counsel, and understanding from this team and you're also getting the ultimate wisdom, counsel, and understanding from this team. But you're not in this meeting unless you decide you want to be, unless you want to have this meeting. You can be in this meeting. And there were times when I invited Pastor to this meeting because I, wa I wanted him to speak about something in particular. I wanted him to share something that I knew was really important to him, heavy on his heart, and I wanted to hear them to hear it from him. It's not that they didn't receive from me, but I wanted them to hear it directly from him. I also wanted to have some proximity with him to this team. So I created those opportunities, but that wasn't the norm, but it was good. It worked well. And, and you know, th th this person, the guy at the chair over the t table over there would have discernment about that. Or you would have an unction about that and say, I want to come. I got something I want to share directly. I want them to hear my heart. Now, I covered a lot of these things already, I think. Um, So, if taking the pulse is so important, so what are we getting out of the, all this? A protected anointing for you, a, great, a, a more ultimate protected anointing. <laughs> I, love, I love what someone said at the, at the break, because they said, boy, we've just been having supernatural occurring in our ministry. I mean, people are getting healed, people with things growing out of their neck, getting healed right in the service. A couple people came back from death in our service, but we can't get anybody to greet people at the door. <laughs> it's like, boy, boy, does that say it all? Yeah. I think I've, I think I've said or covered mo most of this. But you, you have the greatest amount of wisdom. And this team is bringing things to this table. Not only, not, it's not just this team directing everything. This is, this, there's a conduit here. And you have a facilitator to facilitate the wisdom, counsel, understanding, and knowledge. Now, I'll try to get the core competencies in tomorrow. Let's see if we can do, how are we doing here? Yeah, we did the funnel and the process and the lab. Yeah, we've done all that. Uh, innovation. Let's, let's see if we can put a dent into that a little bit. And I didn't get a chance to look at my notes at the break, but <clears throat> we won't be able to get through all of this. So 
What happens when it when you get bigger and um, when um, the bigger you get, the harder it is to become who you were meant to be. Um, the bigger you become, in other words, the harder it is to become who you were meant to be. And one of the chief roadblocks or chief inhibitors to that is the loss of innovation, the lack of innovation, the lack of emphasis on innovation by the leadership. Because you get consumed with things and you're, you can get worn down and you can settle in, like some of you said, this has really energized me, this has helped me, you know, you lit a fire under me again, and I, I thank you for that. But the bow, the business as usual, sets in, and we lose the innovation. And a, and a lot of times, if you're tired and you are overwhelmed and frustrated with all that you've got on you because you haven't either effectively delegated or you don't have anybody to delegate to, or you delegate to them, but they don't have anybody to delegate to, and they get maxed out, and they can't handle it. And even, you're still delegating, but nothing's happening. Why? Well, I didn't say this yet, but the, the reason why is that there's a gap between the team sitting here and this team. There's such a huge gap in competency and capability and therefore capacity. Here's the competency of this team and there's the next level team, the B team. And I get many calls from pastors. And since in the last year with, with Carol battling cancer, I purposely didn't go a number of places. So that I'd get calls and I would tell them <laughs> what I believe the problem is because this is so commonplace. So we're stuck, we can't, we can't, we can't move. I'm so frustrated, I mean, I can't get things done. And I said, there's a gap between this team and that team and the more you put on this team, the less gets done because they can't handle anymore. They either haven't delegated, you think, they're sitting around the table. Are you guys, whoa, that's a real critter there. <laughs> Emerging target, yeah. <coughs> that was ugly. You're, I should be here. <laughs> You're sitting here. Are you guys, uh, are you discipling your team? Are you delegating, are you empowering? Have you built a team? Bobbleheads, oh, yeah, yeah, and they're totally smoking you. I see, now I see a lot of bobbleheads out there, yeah, right, I've been, yeah, totally smoke job. You building your team? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they're giving them errands to run, grunt work. They're not, they're, these people aren't being given things to think about, plan about, and we're not building expertise in the team. So consequently, when you give them the next assignment, and you give this guy an assignment, that one, assi that one assignment, nothing happens. Or it takes forever. And they miss the deadline. 
and it's some bogus thing that they threw together at home alone in their lazy boy because they haven't developed that team. And there's such a gap. This is a gap, a huge gap between this team and that team. And yet they're telling you, oh, yeah, we're doing that, Pastor. Yeah, we're doing that. And then, it, and then you get this fixed. And now the B team is 85% of the A team. But there's the C team. And we got the same problem, just down one level. It doesn't matter where your septic system backs up. It's going to affect you at some point. <laughs> it's going to get to you. Now, you won't be able to fix the C team until you fix the B team, until you fix the A team. But let's start. And let's keep the people God sends, and let's disciple the ones we keep, and let's go deep. But I told you, it's not about a lecture. You can have, as this CEO, as the ultimate CEO here, you can have a lecture. And Pastor Whitfield would, would tell me, yeah, I meet with my, but I, every once in a while I have a big leadership conclave, right, or whatever you call it. So, yeah, you can have a meeting with everybody and all the levels and bring them all together. You do do this when you're strategic planning, when you're doing strategic planning, and you have what we call the, the uh, annual strategic plan, no, the annual strategic planning process, or the annual strategic planning advance, and you give the state of the ministry address, which is the most important thing you do every single year. This is part of the planning process, which we're not getting into here, but it is in the product. Everything about planning is in there. I haven't, this is the first thing I've said about planning, I believe. But other than what you bring from this pulpit with this training manual, it, that is the most important meeting you have all year. And you do get all your leaders together, and you get even the high potential people, the people that could be a leader if they knew what the challenges of this ministry were. And you say, this is what we have to accomplish, and we need help. We need you, and you invite those people to this meeting in addition to you. That's part of the planning process. I, it's in there. But you, but you can have these meetings, and when you're up here, you can have this meeting, you, but you can have this person or this guy or gal. They could do these meetings, or you could do them together. We did many of those together. Many times he would say, no, you, just, you handle it. No, I want to be there this time. But certainly the, the one that I'm talking about, the, uh, um, I'm trying to hurry, um, the annual, the, it's like the, minute, the State of the Union Address. What do I call it, Pastor? The, the, what? The State of the Ministry Address, yeah. It, it's like the State of the Union Address. So... You know, the president stands before Congress and he speaks to the nation and he says, this is where we've been, this is where we're at, and that's where we're going. And that's what this is. This is where we've been. So this is our history. This is what we've accomplished. There are a lot of new people sitting there. They need to know where we come from. Otherwise, they're just hirelings. 
And then this is where we are today. This is my assessment. This is actually, correct, let me correct myself. This is God's assessment of where we are. And I'm relaying it to you. What he told me when I went to the mountain and listened to him about where we are. And then this is where we're headed. Here's where we're going. Not even just this year. But this is our 10-year plan. 10, right? Yeah. This is our 10-year plan. And this is what we need to do this year to get there in 10 years. And this is what we need to do in year two to get to there in 10 years. Okay, so th you're casting the vision. And you're, but you're reiterating who we are, too, our culture, and what we stand for. This, is, this takes two and a half to three hours. This is, this is the most important meeting of the year other than what you bring from behind the pulpit. And this is where you cast, recast the vision. You make it plain again. And you got a lot of new people there. Otherwise, they're hirelings, like I said. And this is where, so you tell them where, this is, this is where we are insufficient. This is what we're going to need to do differently this year. See, there's two, there's two things you're going to be talking about here. One is, One is, you're going to be talking about future results. You're going to be talking about past results and whether we achieved them or not. But then this down here is behavior. Those are the two main things that you evaluate, the two main things you take the pulse on, the two main things you talk about, the two main things that we deal with, two main things. One is results. Are we accomplishing what God said to accomplish? That's what our result is. Did we turn 10, assimilation rate of 10 into 20 this year? Did we turn, or 15 into 30, whatever goal was set. Did we do it or not? Then, where, what is the new goal for the, come, the future? And to reiterate what I've said already, those goals are going to come from down here. Not, they're not going to go down here. You're going to be telling people you need to increase, unless God tells you specifically, you're going to get it from here and you're going to prove it, and uh, approve it. And you're going to say, that's not aggressive enough. Or that's too aggressive. You're just trying to impress me with how much we're going to do and that's not even achievable. So you're going to be approving it from that perspective. But these are results and this is behavior. So this is, the B is are they, is there a gap here? That's behavior. Are we delegating? Are we building teams? Are we empowering other people? Are we evaluate, are we working the job description? Or are we doing our own thing? That would be an example of behavior. So we need results and behavior. And I might as well throw this in. I, it comes out usually in the basic training, but Here's a high level of productivity, which is what you're going to have up here if you built a foundation through the maximum CEO. Here's a high level of productivity. Here's poor productivity. Because we didn't build teams, we didn't disciple, we can't get much done. They work together. They're synonymous almost. So, and then here is a poor level of behavior 
They're not working this system. They're not doing what this, the methods, process, procedures that are required to work this system, the few that you've gotten here, and this is high level of achievement. They are discipling. They are building teams. They are delegating. They are, they are, they are, they are. They're not, they're not, they're not. We did, we did, we did, we didn't. Okay, so now, you say, well, you know, they, yes, I'm trying to point out to you why they work together, because if you have somebody that is achieving high level of results, so they, they would be here on the results uh, scale, they, they, boy, they flat out get it done. And they build teams and delegate to the teams, and they give teams real challenges, real opportunities to think, real opportunities to use their wisdom, counsel, understanding, and knowledge. Really give them, so, th so that we have people that feel valued, motivated, they take ownership, they're committed, and they'll take the vision and run with it. Then we got somebody on this end of the scale, here. And when you connect those dots, they're an A player. They're, they're the best. They're not, are they perfect? No, none of us are perfect. We, nobody arrives. We need continual discipleship. The Holy Spirit continues to disciple us. But, let, just so you understand, if this person, just as I modeled with the A team, the B team, and the C team, if this person is not building their team, not truly delegating meat to their team, giving them an idea, an opportunity to contribute and build a plan and think and become involved and valued and committed, they just use them to run errands in here. They still, they're still dictating, they're still railroading, they're still doing it all, all the thinking and the planning. Here's, but here's what, hey, here's what we're doing next. And then you can run these things and make copies of this, and then we got this situation. They're here on the scale, and you, that's why you evaluate number five. And that's why tomorrow you'll find when we do discipleship, you've got to develop the art of asking questions because that's how you surface these gaps, these things that where you're getting smoked. You want to establish an honest culture, though, so people know that, and they know. Remember I told you, do you understand about honesty? Four things. Do you understand about honesty? Can you confirm for me that you understand about honesty? Can you make a commitment to honesty? We're going to be honest here. We're going to be honest with one another. I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to be honest with me, honest with one another, and everybody down the line is going to be honest. And then consequences. If you were to ever to be dishonest with me, with Todd next to you there, or with anybody else down line, you will have chosen to be off this team as fast as if you snorted the wrong stuff or moved in with the wrong person. Do you understand? We're going to have that kind of honesty here. Okay, so now here, here's the person that does not build a team. Or they have a team, they built a team, and they're smoking you over there. Oh, yeah, we're discipling, yeah. And when reality hits what you connect the dots here, 
They, that, but look, this person's still getting every single thing done on time. You say, so what's the problem? Deal with it, Jack. No, the problem is that when you got one more thing, they're maxed out. Now they're telling you, maxed out. And you're, well, what are you working on? Who have you delegated to? Well, then you find out. Well, that's a little late. Now you've hit a plateau. You've run out of leaders. You've run out of leaders. This person isn't delegating. It doesn't matter whether you're a team of five. You've got a $5 billion company. When you run out of leaders, you're finished. So this, look, this person isn't even a B player. They're a C. They're hurting you. They're hurting you until they build a team. So you have to evaluate both results and behavior. So you're, now you're back here, and you're telling them, behaviorally, what changes are we going to make this year for God, for the, God's work here, as well as what are the goals and what are we going to achieve for God here? Innovation, the key to sustained and long-term success. I'll just I'll kind of pick and choose here for a little bit just to prime the pump and, and uh, get, 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 get you thinking about the issue of the absence or the lack of innovation or the bow where we have business as usual. And, and, and I mean, just to, to give you an overview, <laughs> Um, how many times have people told you it can't be done? You know, we'd like to get everybody that darkens the door to come back and meet the pastor, you know, or we'd like everybody to come back and, you know, don't meet the pastor, but let us have a little time to show and tell and tell you what w this ministry is here for and what, we're, what God told us we're, we're in business to do, you know. Oh, we can't get people to come back. You know, they don't, they don't like to come back. We can't get, we, you know, we, we, we can't really greet like that, you know. We can't really, we can't. It, it's impossible. And, and some, for some reason, I think mainly because mainly everybody's burned out, we, we settle for that. Oh, well, it's impossible, so we can't. No, we can't. We, Pastor, we need you to do another appeal for volunteers. Why don't you get the volunteers? Why don't you come up with a plan for how you can get volunteers for your area and train them? You know, you, so you have another altar call for volunteers. You know? And here they come, and they're all down here. And here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. And then the, here they are, and they don't even have a paper, and a pencil, and a piece of paper, these leaders that are so desperate. And, and, and then... And then we get the name, maybe we're lucky and they do have a piece of paper and a pencil and they get their names. And then we check. So did you, I mean, there were 40 people there wanted to serve. Where, you know, did you get them? No, see, we've been really tied up, really busy. Because it's not even a we, it's I'm really tied up. I don't have a team or they're not using the team. So it's, an, it's another I. And, no, and so what's the message to those 40 people, or however many it is? What's the message? We're desperate for people. I heard, Pastor, we're desperate for people. We really need people, but obviously they don't need me. 
Maybe I can find another place where they need me. But the same mentality is we can't. We can't get them. You know, I called them, but I don't, there's always these excuses. Well, if you're going to settle for that, you're going to settle. You'll settle right there. I don't even know where to start here. Uh, jump around. We can't settle for it can't be done. Any successful company figures out how to get it done. And so that can't be a place where we settle in. Sometimes it takes more time. Sometimes we need to develop people that w are willing to think. But we cannot settle. And that, that, that will be one of your greatest inhibitors. We can't do it. Or we tried it once and it doesn't work. Or we don't. You wanted names so that we can do the math for this. But see, that, that we can't really do that because, see, the, I heard this. You know, did you, I, I'd be at a ministry. Or did, you get the, did you get the number of the number of people that came? Yeah. We, well, no, we didn't. I mean, we, we, we understand we're going to get it, but we don't have it yet. What happened? Well, uh, the, the ushers, that we do, we're not sure it's the right number because they all count differently. <laughs> what? What happened to one, two, three? F they all count to. Yeah, with, I don't need to make this up. But they all count differently. Okay, can we get them to count right? No, next month I'll be here. Can we find out how many people were here then, or whatever the whatever it was we were trying to find out? No, we don't have it. What happened this month? Oh, well, the guy who got the numbers sent the suit to the cleaners, and you can't read the thing. It's all. You know, so, look, I don't mean to be demeaning, but what I'm trying to point out is if you settle for that, then you've settled. <laughs> Pastor's getting a little paranoid because I used so many illustrations from their ministry, and he said, that wasn't us. <laughs> No, you want innovation teams. You want people that have built a team, have allowed other people to think. See, when you've done all, you've created this monster because you've done all the innovation. You've done all the thinking. And people, these are faithful people, and they've sat around for years waiting for you to tell them what to do. And somebody shared that. Somebody, I believe somebody shared that last night. So we need people that are innovative and that's, that comes from discipleship. I, there's some things here I, I, I can't even start uh, because it will take too long. Um, you want to create an innovation culture. And the, and the way you do that is you stop doing their thinking for them. And you, you require them to think it through and come up with solutions. Don't come to this table and tell me that you can't figure it out. 
I want your best cut. I want your best shot at it. And I had to, I had to break through this because the mentality was that, you know, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. No, it, we don't do that anymore. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You tell me what we need to do and I'll prove it. And when you start operating like that, then you, you will get rid of this monster that we created by, by being dysfunctional. It's not their fault. It's the way we've led them and the way we've done the thinking for them. So we've, we've created this problem. We've assimilated ineptitude and the lack of orientation, uh, the lack of innovation. I, I'll just share something with you here, case study. Um, the Whirlpool Corporation. Here's, here's an example of a payoff, for example. The payoff. In 2005, Whirlpool derived $760 million of its $14.3 billion in revenue from products that met the company's new innovation standards. So they raised the bar in 2005, like I'm encouraging you to do on innovation. And they said, we will have an innovation culture here in Whirlpool. And they raised the bar, and they put the, they, what I like to call forcing the discipline. Not abuse, not, that sounds terrible. But you have to create an environment where the discipline is forced. You know, people come to the table and you expect them. You raise your expectations, and nobody comes to the table with questions anymore. They come with answers and innovations and solutions. Innovations are simply ideas that will address the issues and turn them into opportunities. And we don't do that independently, we do that with teams. Okay, so they, they, had a, they put an innovation culture in place and the payoff. So in 2005, Whirlpool derived 760 million of its 14.3 billion in revenues from products that met the, the company's new tough innovation standards. And they were up 10, so they were up from 10 million in 2001. In addition, it had 568 innovation projects underway, 195 of which were being readied for launch. Whirlpool's current chairman, Jeff Fedick, reckoned that those new initiatives would ultimately add as much as $3 billion to the company's bottom line. $3 billion. So it added $3 billion on top of the $14 billion just by changing the culture of Whirlpool. Dramatically, so what am I recommending? That you dramatically accelerate the level of strategic reinvention. People that will reinvent the way we're functioning. Reinvent, because you've got to do that constantly. I remember Jim Preston, the chairman of Avon, and I came in one day to make a presentation to him. And I was bragging on how effective this new idea was going to be. This is the plan, millions of dollars for the international and domestic advertising, and here, here's what we're going to do. And he said, well, how's the plan we're, we're doing now working? And I did that too, so I'm wanting to, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure he understands how good that was too, because I did that too, I mean, my team. And so, so I, oh, well, that, let me show you, and look, we did this, and then it accomplished that and all. And he said, 
He listened. And then when it was all done, he said, so let me get this straight. It's working so well, we're not going to do it anymore? What he was saying is sometimes innovation has to get layered onto something that's already working, but let's make it work better. Let's put strength on strength, power on power, and leverage what is currently working. It's not just about coming up with new ideas all the time. That's not what innovation necessarily means. That's part of it. But sometimes it's taking what is working well and making it better. You know, when, when we turn 10 into 20 next year, then we would, would, should have learned enough things and gotten enough information to be able to torque it up to 40 the next year from 20. Making innovations systemic. That it's everybody's job, every time, every day. Highly engaged people that are looking to reinvent. So people at this table are coming to the table with ideas that will build the ministry all the time. It's not you here pulling on a bunch of people to get something to happen. Pulling on the team to get something to happen. It's this. And they're coming to the meeting with innovation ideas that are changing your ministry before your eyes. Can you imagine how that would be, how edifying that would be, and how that would energize you, and how much more of a visionary you would be because you can see that we've got an infrastructure that's going to be able to accomplish a whole lot more.